WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. The 2014 General Assembly is over. Did the governor get what he wanted? The mass transit bill passes. Will Mike Pence sign it? New sentencing guidelines, another lawsuit challenging the marriage law, and a session-ending roundtable. Winners and losers and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending March 14, 2014. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. AT&T, working to enhance connectivity in Indiana by investing in communication networks. Dedicated to helping Hoosier businesses grow and consumers succeed both at home and at work. AT&T, rethink possible. This week, the General Assembly gave its approval to key elements of the governor's agenda. The Indiana House voted 92 to 8 for a pilot program for 3,000 disadvantaged students, a kindergarten, pre-kindergarten program three times the size previously considered. The state Senate later approved it too. Plus, the Republican governor won approval for a request he made in the State of the State Address to get up to $400 million freed up for new road construction. The bipartisan support came despite Democratic complaints that some of the money should go to cities and towns. Representative Sue Arrington. Local streets and county roads have had the same winter that the state has had, and they're not getting any help. It creates a lot, a lot of jobs. It deals with a lot of congested areas throughout our state. Um, there are projects all over the state. Representative Ed Soliday there. The governor also won approval for corporate tax cuts. Why was Mike Pence so successful? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel, Democrat Ann Delaney. Republican Mike McDaniel. John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV State House reporter Jim Shella. Ann Delaney did the governor bat a thousand. A thousand what? A thousand, a thousand gnats? I mean... He's so successful. Okay, he got parts of his program through. He certainly didn't get his billion-dollar tax cut, thank heaven, and the rest of that stuff. And the pilot pro I don't know why we have a pilot program. I don't know why we just don't have preschool, but nonetheless, it at least is a step forward. Well, there was the right a question direction. of whether we could afford the pilot program. Well, that's going to be an increasing question since the revenues are down and income is down and he keeps cutting corporate taxes and shifting the tax burden to individual taxpayers. There isn't going to be enough money to do what we need to do to stay ahead of the curve as far as competition with other states is concerned. But he's got super majorities in both houses. You know, uh, it, it would be, it would be the, the, the case of the uh, tail wagging the dog if he didn't get something through. Um. 
this, there was an interesting flow to the session. The governor came out with his proposals. Uh, most of them were, were wiped away, and then they came back at the last minute. How do you explain that? Well, one, they didn't come back at the last minute. They've been talking about them the entire session with leadership. And uh, that was important. But, but, for example, preschool went from a study committee to a larger program than, than what passed the House. That's because there was always interest in the membership of the General Assembly about preschool from everybody, both sides of the aisle. So that one, I think everybody thought that something was going to happen there. That was probably the, the one that was a given out of all the things he had on his list. But, you know, I think one of the reasons he was as, as successful as he was is because the issues he dealt with were things that we need. We're talking about a jobs bill uh, with the tax, corporate tax stuff. We're talking about pre-K. The education stuff is very important. We're talking about infrastructure, which is another jobs bill, but important for the continuation of our growth as a logistics hub for this country. Uh, and, you know, they accomplished some other stuff for veterans, uh, you know, everything from adoptions and other things. So he had a he had a, actually had a great year, uh, and uh, if somebody would have asked me 45 days ago if he would have had the kind of day that he had yesterday, I would have said probably not, but they did, and they stayed well, and on that's, message. That's and what I'm reason, talking about. Well, the reason is they stayed on message. They never mm. backed away from any of the things they thought were important, and they, they brought people around, and, and they got people in both houses to agree with that, and most of those things all passed with bipartisan support. And yet, uh, on every level, there are some detractors. The, the business personal property tax cuts are optional. Uh, the preschool plan doesn't go forward uh, beyond the pilot program. Um, the, the road money was allocated a year ago. Um, it, it's not a new allocation. Um, he can check off the boxes. Did he actually accomplish much? Well, I think there are accomplishments. And you're, you're right, Jim. There are detractors. But you can always, always, always find detractors. I think the success for him was there are some tangible things he can point to. But I'll uh, allude to something I mentioned last week. The way he frames uh, his priorities, and he talks about the roadmap or the guardrails, that is a pretty savvy way to do it if, in fact, you want to be able to go around the state with a, an easel and say, I accomplished this, this, and this. Because you can, I've said this before, he's, he has the bully pulpit. He can define the rules effectively and declare himself the winner. So, if, if, in fact, he had held, for instance, to a complete uh, elimination of the prop business personal property tax, as he had suggested back he in what, he November... He dropped that before the legislature right, ever right, got to I'm saying back in November. But, and you're right, by, by the end of the session or by right. a few weeks ago, it was, you know, we want to reduce it, we want to take a step in the right direction, we want to study yeah, it, we want to recognize... we're also going to make sure that the locals don't suffer. But the point and now is, he's got the locals at war Well, with but the point is, well. he, he, can, he can declare victory. Well, I think it was pretty... Savvy way to do it. You like, what are the big victory? It doesn't mean well, it's so. right. One of the big questions today is: with the cuts in the business personal property tax being optional, will anybody actually exercise them? Yeah, or, heck yeah. yeah. And that's the problem is because you're going to set county against county, and I think that's not good public policy. Look, I am still trying to figure out how Governor Pence went from austerity in November because we were 140 million dollars off in our revenue collection to spending hundreds of millions of dollars at the end of the session. I, I think that's a cognitive dissonance there that I'm still trying to understand. Which is it? Do we need to watch the budget or do we need to spend more money? I think that's fine if you can make an argument for either one, 
but I haven't heard a consistent argument yet. Well, and I think that and, probably and, depends on the use of the money. Well, I mean, and, it goes, and the kindergarten money, the kindergarten money is going to come from reversions. It's yeah. going to come the pre-kindergarten money, the, uh, pre-kindergarten and that's another money. public policy problem. It's coming from reversions. So that means some other program that already has an appropriation is going to lose that appropriation. He says he's already identified and the money, and, and that it won't, well, yeah. somebody's going to lose the money because in it's in services. there for somebody else. It's, it's, and and. You can go on if you want, but no, I've still no, got I'm a point to make. His side of it. That's fine. I, I'm still curious about the public policy wisdom of taking money away from one program that's already been allocated and saying, oh, by the way, you need to go out and raise money from private companies in order to get this to go. It's either a good program or it's not a good program. If it's a good program, use tax dollars for it. Yeah, the pre-kindergarten program calls for $10 million of state money and $5 million of, of private and money. And there are reversions yeah, yeah. every year. Of course yeah, there, there are. are but that also means... Year, but the budget is... The, and the if you're talking about pilot the state, program... The income to the state is down and has been down for the last, what, seven months? And here we are. You can't minute. put fiscally responsible and Republican <laughs> in the same sentence yeah. anymore. Wait a minute. Three months ago, all the Democrats were talking about how we got too big a surplus, we're not spending enough money. Now they're all talking about how we're spending too much I money. I didn't say that. Oh, you did. You said I right there not. and said it. I you did absolutely not. did. Uh, it's unbelievable. Here. You started with an argument about how successful the governor, the administration can be politically in terms of claiming success. And then we're also talking about po- public policy and how sound those decisions are. And I think those are two different things. And, they, and, and uh, in fact... And there is a question about how long those successes might last. That's that's true too. But we there's live- also there's also the fundamental question that we're seeing a shift in the tax burden. Either those services are not going to be provided at the state and local level, or homeowners are going to pay more money, or you know that's the way it is. And and the truth is, if we want to give credit for the success, relative or otherwise, of this session, I think that the legislative leadership and the people who the fiscal leadership ought to be getting a fair dose of that, because none of this would have happened without that's them. That's absolutely correct. All right. The mass transit bill will go down as a major development in the General Assembly. Four years of battle came down to this state senate debate on the final night of the 2014 session. What was a bad bill is now a terrible bill. Opponents were outspoken and even supporters complained. Senator Gene Bro called the transit bill half a loaf. I believe this body has Indiana limping timidly into the future. The bill calling for county referendums on tax hikes to pay for transit improvements no longer includes plans for a light rail line from Noblesville to downtown Indianapolis. For many of us, light rail being included in a final version was a deal breaker. And it no longer includes a corporate tax to help purchase new buses. That puts a bigger burden on taxpayers. It's not working, so let's spend more public money. 32 eyes, 16 nays. But the bill passed easily in part because of an emotional speech by its author, Pat Miller. We don't have enough buses. We don't have enough routes. They don't run often enough. Uh, This system is inadequate for this capital city. Mike McDaniel. Today, the governor said he will keep an open mind about this bill, but he wouldn't commit to signing it. Is it still in jeopardy? Oh, I think they're going to take a serious look at this thing. and I think their concern is anytime you're talking about tax increases, that's always something that's always on their mind. But I think the fact that they took out the corporate tax and the fact that it's a local option situation, I think that at the end of the day he will sign it uh, because there's too much investedness in the last three years to get where we are even though it's what I would consider to be 
a pilot program in its own way uh, at, at the very best, but it was important to do this, to get something started, because as we've said on this show for weeks, if you get something started over time, this will develop, and it's got to develop because this metropolitan area has to have mass transit. But it's going to be a long time before we see it because it is a local option because there are only six counties involved. Uh, and uh, But it was the right thing to do. Senator Miller, was it's important for her to be one of the people carrying it, and Jerry Tor did a good job. And so we should be glad we've got something to start with. 65 votes in the House, 32 votes in the Senate. That would argue against a veto. We, you would hope so, because frankly, this doesn't, I mean, Mike's right, it's the nose under the tent, the camel's nose under the tent, but that's all it is. You, you don't have the entire central Indiana uh, area in there. You have to get through the city or the county councils, then you have to have a local referendum. You have no overarching entity that's going to, to uh, put this all together like the, the uh, authorities that are in different states to run these. I, you know, I'd like to think that this would get us to the 20th century, but it barely gets us into the 19th. We don't have trolleys, and we don't have light rail. And this is supposed to be a major city in this country, and it's an embarrassment, and it's an inconvenience to a lot of people who want to hold jobs in different places and can't get there. So is this bill meaningful? Well, I think it is meaningful for the, all the reasons that Mike has expressed, because, you, you know, it's a lot further this year than it was last year when it was non-existent. So that is meaningful. But Ann is absolutely right, too, and that it's a long way to go before anything meaningful occurs from this meaningful step. And it, it really is confounding that at a time when other cities, other places are using uh, much better transit uh, op- options, uh, we can't even get our bus system out of the old, you know, interurban mindset that we've been following the same route and schedule tables since, you know, the 40s. Actually, interurban was more widespread and probably more efficient. Well, it probably was. I will grant you that completely. But the timetables, Mike, that we're using and the routes that we're using are the same ones that we used then. We've got to get this bus system, at the very least, into a better operating position, and we need to be able to invest in it to do that. Some of the people pursuing this bill have suggested that we probably won't get referendums until 2015 or 2016. It is going to be a slow process, and mentioned that, because this is a, it's a multi-phase process. You can't just go out tomorrow. There are other governmental entities that have to act before voters actually can have their say. But I, I think cognitive dissonance, uh, John, that you just offered, is, is going to be the phrase of this show. Uh, I would suggest it's, it's germane in this discussion, too, because this issue shows the disconnect between this notion of that we hear all the time local government should make its you know closest to the people it should make up its mind uh, that's where the, the rubber hits the road it's, use whatever you know cliche and we're going to give empower you to do this but it's going to be within very uh, you know right. restrictive parameters it's almost as if it's a preschool uh, instructor saying we're going to teach the kids how to make decisions for themselves you can either play with the Lincoln Logs or the Tinker Toys <laughs> but, but, you, but it's going to be one of those two things yeah. and it, it just at some point either, either you believe in, in local control and the, the wisdom of, of local voters and, and of local elected officials to, to pursue for instance if they want a uh, light rail system or you don't yeah. they is don't this, is this a victory for Greg Ballard nevertheless well, yeah, I mean, it helps him. I mean, clearly, if anything, they've, they've been working on it for three years. They finally got a victory with this one, so, yeah, it helps. Calling this a victory for him with supermajorities in the governor's race is like, in the governor's office is like saying for a marathoner, once you, you know, you cross the 5K mark, you've won. But they I mean, did come it. on. 
They did it. They got the nose under the right. tent. But with super majorities and, and, and the governor way, and the Republican and mayor of Indianapolis not, pushing for it, he should have been able Indiana, to get the light rail works. as well. Let's move on. Lawmakers also gave final approval this week to a bill that means longer prison sentences for violent criminals. There was a unanimous Senate vote for the measure that is also designed to reduce prison populations in Indiana. It calls for a new community corrections program to deal with people convicted of minor crimes, but it also dictates that criminals serve 75% of their sentences as opposed to the current 50% and reduces the amount of good time available for inmates who advance their education. And I don't think that it's uh, really a bad criminal. At least I can't think of a scenario right now that would actually probably serve less time. Sorry. The lower levels will, because we're not afraid of them. People we're afraid of actually will serve more of their time. Senator Mike Young there, John Kessenberger, will this help save prison costs? Uh, yeah, I think it's got a real possibility. And the other thing that I like about it is it is a, a rational, uh, forward-thinking uh, policy decision. Um, we are saying as a state that people who commit what we consider relatively minor crimes can you know, serve those times in ways other than locking them away and throwing away the key. Uh, but the people who are really dangerous, the people who uh, should be in jail for a long period of time, we're going to do that. So I think it's a, a good bill. The authors think that this could uh, help avoid the need for a new prison in the near future. There, there is that hope. Uh, and, and this has been... Uh, John has talked about this before. The, the subject uh, and the, it is the product of a lot of bipartisan work and cooperation. Not three just, years of effort. Yeah, I mean it's and there have been you know public defenders, counsel, the prosecuting attorneys, counsel, and judges. Everybody has now they're not all necessarily thrilled with every aspect, every aspect of the outcome. But, but they're I, all on board. But they are all on board, and I think it is forward uh, thinking because I think there is an instinct in some political. Uh, sectors to still say, lock them up and throw away the key. Right. So this takes some fortitude to be able to say, we're not going to treat everybody that way, only the, the violent criminals that have uh, committed the most egregious crimes. I, I think this has been underreported. I mean, it's, it's, this, this is a huge shift. They've changed the categories for, for felonies. Uh, there used to be four, now there are six. I mean, it's, sentencing guidelines are, are changed. Um, it, it's going to be a big change. You just uh, gave it, my answer. Okay. That's, that's absolutely <laughs> correct. Let's move on. This is, this is a big deal. This was a huge deal because, one, it will save some money. Uh, and, and, two, uh, they put some money behind the programs that they need that they're going to put people into in some other bills. And that was also key. And uh, it wouldn't make any sense unless they did that. So there was a lot of thought that went into this. This is a major step in the right direction. And it's a bipartisan effort. It was bipartisan with, with Matt Pierce and Greg Sterwald kind of leading the charge on this. And frankly, I, I think it has the potential for being the most significant piece of legislation past this session. Because if it generates enough revenue to avoid the prison and then to fully fund the community correction programs, it can make a real difference. Because once you're incarcerated... Turns, and if it turns around some lives and, and, that's, that's, and reduces that was the recidivism... Next point. Because what happens to a lot of the, uh, uh, of the individuals now on these minor drug crimes is once they're released with the with with that, they can't get employment. Right. And then what happens? They go back into crime as right. a way to, to eat. So Stuart, if we Stuart could Walton stop it. Pierce were strong in this, so is Mike Young, because Mike Young actually produced the programs that are going to have fun some of the things that we're right. talking about. So was Brent Steele. Yep. 
All right, time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question is, will tougher sentences help to reduce crime? Your choices are A, yes, or B, no. Last week's question was, who deserves the tax break more, businesses or individuals? 3% said businesses, 43% said individuals, 25% said both, 29% said neither. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. A second lawsuit was filed this week challenging the Indiana statute that bans same-sex marriage. Lambda Legal, a national organization committed to civil rights for gays and lesbians, filed the suit against Attorney General Greg Zeller and others on behalf of three same-sex couples. A spokesman cited testimony against HJR 3, the marriage amendment, as motivation for the lawsuit. And uh, today there was a, a third lawsuit filed, and I believe a fourth is coming. John Schwannis, will HJR 3 backfire on its supporters. No, I, I, yes, there's a connection clearly between the two, but look at the groundswell. This issue, we've talked about it time and time again. The, the public opinion has changed so dramatically in the past few years on this from coast to coast and here in Indiana. They, there's so much pent up uh, frustration among uh, the plaintiffs in these suits uh, you know, up to three now suits, uh, sympathetic plaintiffs, I think it, uh, chosen, I'm sure, carefully. These people, regardless of what was going to happen mm. in the General Assembly, these, this, this, you it think was we going to be We were going to see these, do you think? Well, look, let if, me make this one, let me make this battle. other point. Let me make this other point. This, this week, there were, I think, four states, including Indiana, that well, saw federal lawsuits filed dealing with right. this issue, where people were trying to scale back uh, prohibitions yeah. on this. Two of those states already are in the Constitution. So another one was a statutory prohibition like right. Indiana's, but two were stat. So the notion that somehow having this in the Constitution or not having still, it in the Constitution still is, to a federal is, lawsuit. is irrelevant. Still to yeah, a federal lawsuit. Irrelevant. I, I do think that, that the supporters uh, of HJR 3 could rue the day that they allowed this issue to get away from them because they did stir up a lot of opposition to HJR 3. They motivated people who were willing, actually it seemed to me, willing to wait for the federal um, uh, federal law to take its course. And I'm kind of surprised, actually, that Freedom Indiana hasn't remobilized and said, let's change the law. Uh, let's make this law, um, uh, you know, let's eliminate that law well, from the books in you're Indiana. Gonna, you're going to see a lawsuit, it seems to me, too, on the tax uh, issue, the denying tax benefits to, to validly married people from other states that are here. Yeah. And, you know, one of these legislatures is going to, who have allowed same-sex marriage is going to get up and say, okay, to you states who don't recognize ours, we're not going to recognize yours. And that's going to make an interesting dynamic, which is what full faith and credit is all about, which is why our position is so ridiculous. Have we seen the last of HDR3 or, or its oh, ilk? Uh, no, uh, clearly no. I mean, we all predicted on here that this was going to lead to this. I mean, right. and we're here. But, but the question is, will somebody be back in the Indiana General Assembly next year with, with, with a constitutional ban? I don't think so, actually. I think right. it's going to go away. You don't think? I bet there'll be... There will be individuals who want to see that. You can't no. now whether no, they go there. I promise you, it'll get filed. The question is, does it get a hearing? Well, that's that's yeah. a whole different yeah. deal. That's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's the question. Right. All right. Time for our session-ending roundtable. Biggest winner in the General Assembly, Ann Delaney. I, I would give that to the to the corporations and universities who had the courage to stand up and help mobilize and fund the opposition to HJR three. I mean, they they clearly turned the tide. Mike. Clearly, Governor Mike Pence. I don't think there's any other way to say it. 
John. Freedom what? Indiana was incredibly well, yeah. uh, uh, successful with its mobilization efforts. And I will say Mike Pence, because of the framing I talked about earlier, can declare himself a winner. John. Well, he has already declared. In fact, he declared himself a winner before the session was over on YouTube. Um, and so in that regard, with the bully pulpit, I agree. But I think Freedom Indiana also deserves a lot. I think, I think the marriage amendment was the story of the session, and Freedom Indiana was the winner. Um, Mike McDaniel, biggest loser. Well, I don't, because of the self-destruction nature of, of the way he did it, Mike Delf, clearly. I mean, it was sad to watch. Him kind of self-destructive. Lost the marriage fight, and then was punished by his own yeah. caucus. Yeah, he and all of the right-wing groups in that Senate uh, caucus that are friends of his. I think local government, local schools, uh, lose out because of uh, the loss of business potential loss of business personal property tax. I was going to say Mike Delf, but I like that answer, too. So I'll agree to everything that's been said. <laughs> Let's go with Mike Delf. All right. Lawmaker of the Year, Ann Delaney. Well, you know, I don't always have to say Ed Delaney. But after that, <laughs> after that, I think I'd give it to, to Matt Pierce and Greg Sturwell for staying the course and getting that legislation through. Yeah, Greg Sturwell's got to be on the list. I'm going to go back to something John said earlier, which was going to be my answer in this anyway, a three-way tie for a fiscal leadership for in a non-budget year doing what they did to pull off what they pulled off. It was a major accomplishment. John? I'll give the two chambers leaders. I mean, there were places where this did go off the rails, but it could have gone completely off the rails. But they pulled it back. There was some adult supervision, and I will say caucus leadership. I'm going to say Ed Clear. He had a very interesting role, I think, in the whole Freedom Indiana um, debate and really had a, a key role in the House where the momentum all changed. This is two right. years in a row for him. Right. Right. Best legislative leader. Uh, clearly, uh, David Long for the way he handled ACR through. Well, I think Scott Piloff and, and Tim Lannon did an excellent <laughs> job, but I would agree David. with David Long because he's the one that didn't have egg all over his face, unlike his guy across the aisle. I agree with David Long. I just said caucus leaders, I'll stick with it. Yeah, and David Long. All right. Best moment of the 2014 session, I say it was. Uh, the vote in the House to take the second sentence out of HJR3. I haven't seen drama like that in a long time. Anybody disagree? Nope. Certainly well, from think a newsworthiness the, standpoint, if that's, your, if that's your scale. I think the last 48 hours when the whole agenda came together. The that's second in, best is Sine Die. That's Indiana <laughs> Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash podcaster starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shello of Wish TV. See you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. AT&T, working to enhance connectivity in Indiana by investing in communication networks. Dedicated to helping Hoosier businesses grow and consumers succeed both at home and at work. AT&T, rethink possible.